Thank you. Lovely to be here. And uh, my name is Shane, part of the Infused team. Uh, my wife, Christiane, and our three children. I've only got two here today. We've sold the other one. Uh, no, um, the, the other one's with his uh, grandmother. So, uh, oh, bliss. Um, but it's wonderful to share the word with you today. I've really been enjoying this uh, series on, on daring faith. Uh, who's been getting something out of this, this series? It's been going on a while now. I, I checked. We started this last year. And even though last year is only like three weeks away, <laughs> uh, we've been doing it for some time. And um, really felt like I wanted to share this morning some of the, um, the wrestles. I want to have a, a hot conversation with you this morning. Uh, hot, being honest, open and transparent uh, about um, daring faith and how, how do you keep a daring faith when you have the feeling that God's not turning up, when God doesn't show up, when God is silent. And I've got 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the first thing I wanted to say is that this wrestle is not unique to me. Uh, I think if we're honest, it's something that um, as believers we're always wrestling with and constantly wrestling with. And uh, wanted to encourage you again that these struggles are best played out in community. Yeah. These struggles are best played out in a, a connect group yeah. or with a, uh, a soulmate in Christ. And if you have a soulmate in Christ, you are blessed beyond measure. And I'm thankful for the, the soulmates in Christ that I have and uh, the opportunity to sit down and to share, I'm struggling with this particular issue um, and, and not feel the, the stigma of being someone that doesn't have enough faith uh, or is doing something wrong, but it is a, a, a universal struggle and one that's not limited to just this time in history, but uh, is seen well throughout. Because we all know that faith comes easier when God is clearly seen. You know, if God's answering your prayers and if God's doing all the things that you tell him to do for you, faith is easy. But what do we do when God doesn't seem to be there? What do we do when God is silent? When we bring our concerns, our issues, our desires before him and he doesn't show up, or he doesn't come through for us. And I identified, um, for me firstly, there were, there were two wrestles. And the first one I wanted to uh, call is the wrestle between me and he. The wrestle between me and he. As a young believer, I had a very simplistic faith. So it was easy to trust God for great things, for amazing things. And uh, as a uh, a young believer, probably the time I was most fervent in my prayer life was when I was going to the dentist. <laughs> I prayed like you wouldn't, and, and Christiane can testify to this because two years ago now I went to the dentist for the first time in 11 years. Um, God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but power, no, but that doesn't apply to dentistry. Um, but I would pray and in my head I, I would negotiate with God. 
uh, I, I would sit in the waiting room and I'd be praying and praying and praying and, you know, Lord God, I serve you with all my heart and I'm just calling on you for this one thing that when I get in that chair, there's no cavities. The, the dentist says, that's awesome, your teeth are amazing. Just get up and go and I'll bulk bill you. Um, uh, and, and that was great. Uh, when I went to the dentist for the first time 11 years ago, I, I was praying fervently again and Christiane was checking on me because I was quite anxious and quite nervous and got in the chair and said, oh, that's all good. <laughs> Praise Jesus! Amazing! Uh, but as a, as a young believer, the, the scary thing was that if I went in and I, and I sat there and a dentist said, yep, that's great, and that didn't happen too often, by the way, as a, as a child. Um, but what... What happens when I left, when he's, he, he says, you know what, you need to come back for another visit. In fact, we'll probably need to schedule another two visits. Uh, you have, you know, three or four cavities that are going to need to be filled. What does that do to your faith? Luke, can we um, jump to the next slide? I, I had an image that would help us to understand, so just down arrow if we could. And again, and again. There it is. Looks like you have sensitive gums. Let me stab it with this prison shank. <laughs> that kind of summarises my view of, of, of dentistry. But um, the issue is, if I'm praying, I'm seeking, and, and, and God doesn't answer in that moment, and I've got all these cavities and I have to go back, my prayer is that God would deliver me from the pain of the dentistry chair. And he doesn't. Maybe it's got something to do with me being, you know, a responsible steward of the teeth I have and brushing and flossing regularly. I don't know. It could have something to do with that. But in that moment, what did, what did it mean for my faith in that I was seeking God earnestly? I had this assumption that I'm serving Him and ministering to Him and I don't ask for things very often. And I get to the dentistry, just this one thing, and He's not there. But moving on a, a number of years matured in my faith, the wrestles only become deeper. Shortly after we got married, I developed um, this uh, rash, which was quite unusual, um, from head to toe. Uh, There wasn't a place on my body that I didn't have this angry, red, irritable rash. I remember going to see all these different doctors. I remember going into a, a skin specialist and he spent some time with me and then he left the room and he came back with four other people who were also skin specialists to look at my body to try and figure out what was going on. No one knew. And I remember going to um, uh, the church we at the time, calling the elders of the church. They came together and prayed for me, anointed me with well, did all the things in the Bible that you're meant to do so that you get healed. And nothing happened. Nothing changed. How do you reconcile those things? And it's hard, isn't it? Because as Christians, we know that we're, we're serving the Lord, we're doing all the things that are required of Him, so we build up this kind of deposit of good things that God should do for us because we've done these good things for Him. And I'd recommend The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, if, if anyone's read that book or hasn't read that book. That changed my life, that book. Uh, looks at the, the story of the prodigal son and looks how the, the young son is the one that rebels uh, and gets things from the father. But he also spends a lot of time talking about the older son who is the one that is very, very good 
but is still looking to manipulate the father to get things by being very, very good. And I found myself in that scenario where I was seeking after God for this healing, but he wasn't there. Through that scenario, though, and through that situation, I found, um, I learned about Paul's affliction, the thorn in the flesh. And like him, I was eventually able to find peace in the affliction and be able to say that God's grace is sufficient for me. The other thing I learned is that just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. So move on a number of years and now I'm really, really mature in my faith. (laughs) And you hear those wonderful stories, those wonderful testimonies of people saying, I went Christmas shopping and I was driving up and I was wondering where I was going to park and I was praying to the Lord. And then a park just opened up right next to the elevator that goes down. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, the other one I heard not too long ago was I was praying for my dog who had diarrhea and God delivered him. Praise Jesus. But then my prayers, the ones that I bring that I consider to be much more significant, people that are um, on their deathbed, people that are in a coma, people that are about to leave this world, often people that are going to leave this world well before we think they should. And you earnestly seek after God and pray. But they die. Now reconcile those scenarios where we're bringing these things before the Lord, seeking Him, knowing that He is capable, knowing that He is able to step in and to change that scenario, to change that circumstance, but doesn't. But at the same time, He's answering the prayers of this person who's wanting to go and find a park at the shopping centre. How do you keep a daring faith when there seems to be no common sense around how God moves or how God doesn't move. Or perhaps it's how people perceive or don't perceive what God is doing. And the Bible seemed to confuse me somewhat too. On one hand, the Scriptures teach of an abundant life, the power of prayer, that if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, I can tell a mountain to get up and move. So is my faith not even as big as a mustard seed? Am I the problem? Is it me? Is it he? Him. Why is it that God seems to be doing the work everyone else asks him to do, but avoids or ignores my requests with often greater needs than others? I believe in him. I know who he is. I believe in his promises. I believe what the word says. But why is is he silent in those things that I bring before him? What do you do when God doesn't act and respond the way you think that he should? The next wrestle was the wrestle between good and bad. 1 Peter 5 tells us in verses 8 and 9, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around, roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And that verse um, spoke to me a number of times, um, particularly on a, a really difficult situation where I was praying for someone and believing that they would be uh, healed and ended up passing away. And we have this kind of mindset in our Christian worldview, don't we, that tells us that because we're believers in God, that we should have an easier life. And this verse always stables me, I guess, uh, in that, in to say that there are a whole heap of sufferings right around the world. They're not just localised to infuse church, <laughs> but they are uh, seen throughout the world. And they're not just in those that don't know the Lord. It's actually saying here that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same sufferings. We live in a fallen world that's corrupt by sin, but something in the back of our Christian worldview keeps telling us that we should have an easier life. Romans 8 reminds us of that, doesn't it? In all things, God works for good. I think we often change that verse to say God works in all good things. Is God in bad things? But we shouldn't be surprised when bad things happen. Let's have a look at Romans 8:28. It says, and, then we, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's a favourite verse for a lot of people. It's one of those great blessing verses. In fact, I think we had it on the, the front of our program for our, our marriage because we believe that um, this was a, a good thing that God was bringing two people together. And um, I mean, when you look at it, how, how could it not be a good thing? Uh, yeah. Remember that? That's like, download the podcast. You can play it back. <laughs> So we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So what are all things? All things are all things. And I think sometimes we do ourselves a great disservice with this verse by taking it out of the context. And if this is one of your favourite verses, then I would suggest that um, you go back and perhaps read all of chapter 8 of Romans. It's a great chapter. One of my favourite chapters of the Bible. And just begin to unpack that a little bit more. And uh, we'll do a little bit of that now. So all things are actually all things. In fact, some of the things are seen a few verses later. In verse 35 it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And Nolene did a great job of reminding us of that again uh, this morning. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, what things? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger and sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a great verse. All things. 
And trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger and sword are not exclusive to the body of believers. We have a world that is suffering those things. And the answer, the solution is Christ, as we see in that passage. But again, I think we often think that all things in the light of that verse are just the good things. And sometimes we think the bad things are not good. This is going to sound really simple, but it's actually quite, quite difficult to unpack. But sometimes when bad things happen in light of that verse, we say, oh, something good must be coming. That if I didn't get this job or I didn't get this promotion or this happened, there must be something better coming. Because we know that God works for good. There must be something better coming. And I want to share um, and, and unpack this a little bit this morning to suggest that perhaps it doesn't necessarily Im- imply that that is the promise. It doesn't necessarily imply that because this has happened, something better is going to happen. Bad things are bad. Bad things are bad. And I think this is best seen and understood in the response of Jesus at the death of Lazarus. If we have a look at John uh, chapter 11, verse 32, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. The shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus was actually moved by a bad thing. The death of Lazarus was not a good thing in disguise. The death of Lazarus was a bad thing. Jesus didn't rock up, said, don't worry, Jesus is here to save the day. Nothing to cry about here. Lazarus actually dying is a good thing because now I can show all my divinity and power and come and raise uh, Lazarus from the dead. It's not what Jesus did at all. Jesus was moved, was troubled in spirit and wept because it wasn't a good thing. It was a bad thing. It was a bad thing. But God worked in this bad thing for the good of those called by him according to his purpose and what I recognized through this and through these struggles is that my faith was in the outcomes not in the person and not in the purposes my faith was in the outcomes of sitting in that dentistry chair looking for a specific outcome in that scenario where I'm covered with a a rash looking for a a change of circumstances, to have that rash gone instantly. For those people that I've prayed for and those people that have passed, I wanted to see those people raised from the dead. I wanted to see them healed. I wanted them to see the years lived out that I think they should have lived. And what I recognised is my faith, and perhaps this morning your faith also, is in the outcomes of those prayer points. But a daring faith is a faith that is in the person of Jesus. A daring faith is a faith that is in the purposes of God. 
And Proverbs reminds us this. In fact, no, let's not go to Proverbs just yet. The life of faith is not about our wants, but his will. Or said another way, rather than my plans, God's purposes. And Proverbs reminds us of this also. In Proverbs 16.9, one of my favourite verses, it says, In the hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And in Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. One of my life passages is the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We're saying it's not Abednego. That's the Australian way of saying it. Abednego. Abednego. It resonates with me and it surmises so well the balance between uh, my plans and desires and God's purposes. In Daniel 3 verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. That's such a great passage. Because in that, I think the, 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 the struggle of humanity is there. In that we have this assurance that God can save us and that firm belief that God will save us. But they also say, but even if he doesn't, God is still God. There must be a, a higher purpose or there must be a, a, a greater destiny uh, that, that God has. There must be a, a greater purpose than, that, uh, than ours, a higher way or something bigger than me in this situation. But what they're actually saying is that... that and, and, and what I love about this is it's not actually seen as a weakness of faith. I think as believers, we've got to get to the place where we can actually say, we're believing for this, but even if this doesn't happen, God is God. And that's not seen as weakness of faith. It's actually seen as a greater level of faith in my mind. And I can, I can relate to these three guys. That statement in that prayer, they don't want the pain of being burnt to a crisp. Remember the king also then went out and stoked the fire seven times hotter because of their response? That was the future that was before them in that time. And that statement of faith to believe, uh, I believe that God is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. It's a wrestle, though, isn't it, to conform our wants to his will. This is also seen in the life of Jesus in the garden. Through prayer, Jesus lays it before the Father, not once, not twice, but three times, recorded in Scripture, that Jesus wrestled. I think there needs to be a, a place where we have a, a greater level of honesty and transparency with one another, but also before the Lord. And perhaps that's another message for another time. But um, 
if we have a look at uh, Matthew 26, in verse 39, it says, Going a little further, Father, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then a few verses later, verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then again in verse 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Can you begin to see the wrestle? This is what I want. This is what the Father is asking. These are the purposes of the Father. And Jesus wrestled. Jesus, the Son of God, wrestled. Recorded in the scripture on three occasions that wrestle. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. He knew what was ahead. But Jesus committed to the purposes of the Father. Shortly after that, he was taken. He was beaten. Crown of thorns was sunk into his head. Nails were driven through his hands. Upon the cross, and he calls out, My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? We know that that statement is referenced in Psalm 22 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Jesus. We have a Savior familiar with suffering familiar with pain, familiar with abandonment, familiar with the wrestle of conforming our plans to the purposes of the Father. God's purpose was that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you and I would know the Father's love for us, so that whoever would believe in him would not wear the eternal consequences of sin, but have eternal communion with him. Did Jesus fulfill the Father's purpose? Betty, that's why we're here today. If Jesus had not conformed his will to that of the Father, would we be here today? So let's revisit Romans 8 again. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now I want to show you verse 29, because we often don't include this verse when we're talking about this blessing verse of verse 28. Verse 29 starts with a tiny little word called for. For any grammar people out there, it's a preposition, which means that this next part is actually connected to the section before it. So verse 29 is connected to verse 28. Remember that next time we read or share verse 28 with someone. Verse 29, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And usually any time you see the word predestined, 
in text. Those that have got a little bit of a fancy towards theology start to, predestination, oh, that's going to be a slippery path. Um, But Paul's not actually talking about uh, or defining predestination here. He does that later. And don't let that little red herring of predestined set you uh, away from what Paul's actually trying to say here. All that the word predestined means here is that it's fixed, that it's set, that it's done. For those God foreknew, he set. It's done. That you would be conformed to the image of his son. So verse 28, in all things God works for the good. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus didn't suffer, so we didn't have to suffer. Jesus suffered so that when we suffer, we would become like him. That we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I believe that the promise of Romans 8 here is not better life circumstances. But I believe it is a better life. A life in Christ. The good that God is moving us toward that happens in either externally good circumstances or just as much in externally bad circumstances is shaping us, is contouring us, is polishing us, is transforming us into the likeness of his son. It is predestined, it is fixed, it is set, it is done in all the things, all things, there is the transformation into a better life, a life of Christ. So a daring faith is living out God's purpose and God's purposes in our life. And God will choose to use the good things and the bad things to transform us in that way. The bad things are not good, bad things are bad. But God takes all things and uses all things to transform us into the image of his son. So in closing, a daring faith is living out God's purposes in our life. And three quick takeaways. Our faith needs to be in the person of Jesus and founded in God's goodness and kindness towards us. The scriptures are full of that. We have that assurance and that understanding that God is for us, that God is a good God, that God shows his kindness towards us. Again, Nolene did a great job of sharing that and reminding us of that again this morning through communion. That God is for us, that God loves us. There's no greater evidence than that gift of his son. We need to live bigger picture lives. I know sometimes when I get grumpy with God about not doing the things I think he should do, it's because I'm living with a a mindset or a vision of, of my life. But we must realize that that God sees a bigger picture. God sees things in much greater detail than we do. And also that that realization that um, I might not have the answers in this life. We know that sometimes when prayers haven't been answered, we live a little bit longer and there are lessons or other things that change and we, we learn from that. 
But I also believe there are things, answers to prayer that we won't see this side of heaven. But those purposes will become clear in glory. So we need to live bigger picture, uh, bigger picture lives. God's purposes, but also an eternal mindset. So often I get caught up in the here and now. But it's hard to think, isn't it, of, of, of all of this being temporary. That's what the word says. All of this is temporary. Now, the things that we build for ourselves here on earth are going to decay. They're going to be meaningless. Let's start living with an eternal mindset. And let's be uh, reminded again that God's purpose for us is the transformation of our lives into the image of his son. So let's stand. And let's pray. Lord God, we start this morning by just acknowledging again that you are a good God, that you are sovereign that you are the Lord of all, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are over all things. And Father, we pray for those things that we have on our hearts today, those things that we're, we're wrestling with, and we continue to come before you, knowing that you are a faithful God, that you are a God that is capable of answering that prayer in an instant to bring healing, to bring about uh, changed circumstances, Lord, that you are the God of the miraculous that you can bring divine healings, that you can make miraculous provisions, that you can bring peace to situations of great um, trouble and hardship. And we believe in that this morning, Lord. But like Shadrach, uh, Meshach and Abednego, Lord, we do pray for those things. We're believing that you will answer those prayers. But even if you don't, Lord, we say that your purposes are higher than ours. Your ways are greater than ours. And Lord, we simply trust in your purposes, your purposes for our life. Lord, we bring our our will and submission to yours today, Lord. We pray for the grace, Lord, as we wrestle with trusting you. When you don't move and act as we think you should. Lord, we know that you are for us, not against us. We've read that again today. We know that even if things don't turn out the way that we intend, that you have our best interests and a great life ahead for us. Help us to fix our eyes on you, the author, the creator and finisher and perfecter of our faith. Bring these things to you now, praying them in faith in the name of Jesus. Amen.